Welcome to Propane Fitness Podcast. Today we are here with Dr. Tugai Kosh and he is a senior surgical orthopedic registrar who lifts. He's done a lot of spines, knees and hips and he's specializing now in foot and ankle surgery. So we have loads of questions from you guys. So we're going to do a rapid fire Q&A. Mainly we're talking backs and knees. You're listening to the Propane Fitness Podcast, your ultimate resource for fat loss and muscle gain with none of the gimmicks. With your hosts, Yusuf and Johnny. Simple rules, dramatic results. So hello to Guy, thanks for joining us. Hi, no problem. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, really great privilege. I'm just going get, to get started with the questions then. Cool. Could, just before we start, could we get a quick background on, on you and what's Actually, what's brought you up to this point? You did a great job of, um, of introducing me, but I'm 35 years old. Um, I'm originally from Turkey, but I trained medicine at Guy's Kings and St. Thomas's uh, in London. And now I work in the Wessex region, which is sort of Hampshire and the surrounding area. Uh, I'm entering my final year of registrar training. So I've done all the subspecialties within orthopedics, which goes from uh, spines down to hands, down to foot and ankle. And of all those, the thing that's taken my passion the most is foot and ankle. So my subspecialty will be that. But I've been trained in the generality of orthopedics and passed my consultant exams uh, back in uh, February. Um, yes. I have, <laughs> yeah, yeah, hardest exams I have ever done. Yeah, I've been, I've been strength training more seriously for the last three years or so, uh, mainly the squat, bench, and deadlift. I haven't really competed much, but it, you know, it's it's difficult. I've got two kids. I've got a three and a half year old and a and a five month old. And, and, you know, it's uh, sometimes hard to squeeze it in. But one of those questions is about that, actually. So I'll, I, I guess I'll get on to, to that. But that's me. So two questions before we continue. Um, yeah. Number one, what do you bench? Best gym, uh, 120, which is pretty poverty. That's kilos, right? Uh, yeah. 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 Thankfully. <laughs> but still poverty. <laughs> best, best, uh, best bench is uh, 120. Yeah. Best squat is 190. Uh, again, gym PR. Best deadlift is 205. Again, gym PR. But yeah, not, not, not amazing. But, you know, I started this uh, the strength training when I was 33. So I've got a lot of catching up to do to you guys. I think enough for people to, to be like, yep, he definitely lifts. Like I can listen <laughs> to him on this yeah. stuff within the context of, of lifting weights. Second thing, for people who aren't the, the, the distinct minority of us who aren't medical students or doctors, could you maybe talk about what is what is orthopedic mean? Like, what is that actually? What is the application of that for someone who's listening? Orthopedics actually means straightening children, uh, which is what it originally came from. But it sort of expanded to be uh, the treatment of uh, muscle and uh, muscle joint and bone disorders. So the okay. majority of our day day practice can be split into two. Um, one half is trauma, so people who come in with uh, fractures, broken bones, uh, torn tendons, torn ligaments things of that nature also with uh, with spinal disorders as well and infections of the of the limbs or joints uh, and then the other half of our job is the more elective side so joint replacements or treats treatments that you can do to tendons bones and ligaments in the operative setting as well as uh, spinal surgery uh, so it's sort of two faceted in the elective field we tend to subspecialize into body parts in this country so we don't really have a sports medicine surgery like they do in the united states where there are certain orthopedic surgeons who really specialize in that subgroup of patients but uh yeah that's how it's uh that's our day-to-day -day work did you say the definition is straightening children yeah orthopedic so right. straightening right. children right, uh, okay. yeah essentially it was uh, it started because there were 
kids with rickets, uh, kids with um, hips that were dislocatable and things like that. And that's how the, the, the term evolves. Uh, and it's sort of grown, grown from that as it's become uh, more complicated, more complex and required specialization. I'll try to find as many of the medical terms as I use as possible. Um, Don't worry, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you on that. Yeah, if you give me a gentle reminder in case I forget, I'd appreciate it. Yeah, of course. I think it's easy when, when you're so specialized in something to just mention, like Yusuf does this all the time, like you just mention something, you're like, well, hold on, you need to use normal language to, to explain yeah. this. So when Yusuf posted on Facebook that we were going to be talking to you, we asked for questions. I think we had the most questions we've ever received for a podcast oh, guest. So either you're mega famous or <laughs> back pain. What is it? Did you ask for hips and back? Yourself. Hips, knees, and back were the main Hips themes coming up. Yeah, so obviously people have a lot yeah. of problems um, that they want yeah. the answers to. So I think we'll just jump straight into the questions, just because there's so All much right. to get to. So get through. So the first first question is from Greg, yeah. and he's asking, "What are your views on rigidity versus mobility of the spine for maximum strength and injury prevention?" Okay, so I think rigidity and mobility need defining first, because rigidity in my book is something that's potentially pathological. So by pathological, I mean a disease state, okay? I think the more appropriate question would be stability versus mobility, and then perhaps even stability versus instability. When you're talking about rigidity, if you're talking about muscle activation and the ability to resist any movement such as forward bending or rearward bending or twisting or sideways bending, then you're more talking about stability. The stability in the spine is that is a really difficult concept to understand. There's been a lot of research into it, and depending on the sources that you look at, you'll get very different definitions of it. The most popular one in in my practice is is from 1990 by these guys called Punjabi and White. And they described stability as the ability of the spine under a physiological load to prevent pain, progressive deformity, and neural problems. So by neural problems, that means impingement on nerve roots causing leg pain, for example. So that requires three things. Uh, There's the active factors, there's the passive factors, and then there's, again, the neural factors. So the active, uh, the passive factors are things like the bones, the ligaments, the joints. The muscular factors or the active factors are the muscles that surround the spine and to, to some degree, what people refer to as the core, which is the combination of muscles that surround the trunk, essentially. And now we're specifically talking about the lumbar region because stability in the thoracic spine, so the upper bits, is contributed to by the rib cage and the sternum. So those are the things that sort of contribute in a, in a passive and active way. And then the neural factors are up uh, from the brain down to those muscles controlling things. And what you find is they've uh, essentially based on sort of studies that they've done, there, when you apply a force and you measure the displacement, you find that the, the initial force is what's called a neutral zone, which is predominantly taken by the active muscles. So if you have a disease state where those active muscles aren't working due to pain, lack of control of muscles, potentially surgery detaching those muscles or trauma detaching those muscles, you have increased deformity in the spine that can lead to instability. So I know that's getting complicated, but essentially... The point is that the more active, the more you involve the active components, which is the muscles around the spine and the and the core, the less deformity there will be in the beginning, and your tolerance to resist load is higher. 
So I've got a couple of questions on the back of that, guys. So because Stu McGill is very big on being able to improve your capacity for the active factors so that you can actually improve your ability to actively resist force against your spine. First of all, do you think that's possible to... Is that a trainable aspect? I think so. And I think it depends on your ability to, uh, to, to have good proprioception. So proprioception is the joint position sense. There's a lot of people who I've seen in clinic who are just not aware of what position their bodies are in. And I think a predominant way to sort of prevent injury is to be aware of the positions you get yourself in. And Stuart McGill isn't someone that's quoted a lot in, in medical literature or surgical literature, but I've sort of read into him because of personal interest. And a lot of stuff that he says, says makes a lot of sense. You know, finding out the factors that cause you pain. Do you have a flexion intolerant spine or an extension intolerant spine? So flexion is when you bend forward, extension is when you bend backward. And there's trying to understand the positions where you get your pain and avoiding them and controlling them. It makes perfect sense. Because I'm, yeah, I'm reading his book at the minute and it's an absolute rabbit hole. Like I thought it would be easy reading, but it is the most in-depth, complex book I've seen. It's got pages of tables of biomechanics and electromyography tests and all this stuff. And it's just like, bloody hell, I did not <laughs> expect this. Ultimately, I think all of this boils down to knowing what your body's doing, not putting yourself into dangerous positions. And if you are going to be in a dangerous position, like put, picking up an odd object, to be, to be braced and ready for it. Because... I don't know about you guys, but I've never hurt. I, I do get back pain as well. I never get it because of injury during weightlifting. I get it because I was doing something silly outside the weight room. You know, Yusuf, you, you've injured your back, haven't you? I have. And how, how did you do it? One, one was during gymnastics and then multiple recurrences when lifting. So, um, Okay, right. Yeah. You're probably the exception. And, you know, I've seen a lot of people in our, our clinic with back pain. I, I haven't met a single person yet. Well, you don't meet a lot of people who lift who get chronic back pain. And you def and I haven't met a single person who lifts who's gotten their back pain during lifting and had it chronically enough to come and see an orthopedic surgeon. So that that's a big caveat here. A lot of um a lot of people who get back pain will see their GP and then they'll see a physiotherapist or an allied professional and they'll never get to see a sur uh, a surgeon. Now you might think that's a bad thing, but that's the best thing in the world for you. As, as a person who suffers with back pain because it means that no one's going to stick a knife in your back all right and you know i've done spinal surgery and i know what we do to people's backs and i wouldn't want anyone going near my my back if i had the choice so surgery should be an absolute last resort we take the muscles off we detach them off we peel them away we have to see everything we cut away bits of bone bits of ligaments all sorts of stuff nothing that destabilizes the spine but we, despite all that stuff and despite all the studies that have been done, we can't really get rid of people's back pain very well. We can get rid of leg pain quite well, but back pain is harder. So it's interesting that you say that because I think the typical perception of surgeons is that you're scalpel happy and just want to operate on anyone and you're giving a very, very different picture to that. Yeah. Well, so just um, on, the, on the passive side of things as well, you, so you mentioned about those the, the neural the neural elements passive and active again Stu McGill mentioned that we're creating the perfect storm of back injury by lifting and then doing something that is mobilizing as well so doing yoga and powerlifting concurrently is simultaneously laying down collagen in the spine and, and creating stiffness but equally delaminating it by repeated flexion and extension have you got yeah. any thoughts on that 
Um, yeah, so that brings on Greg's uh, Greg Stewart's second part of question, Jefferson Curls versus McGill Big Three. So Jefferson Curl, if I um, remember it correctly, is where you stand on elevation, have a barbell in your hand, and purposefully flex and extend your, your spine. I mean, that's just a bad idea, I think. <laughs> uh, because you are, especially if you're going to be lifting, you want you want stability. So why would you do something that goes the other way the logic that I see is if you end up in a rounded posture, it gives you the strength to straight straighten. I get that. But you can still work on that strength by teaching it correctly. I could see one way in that it could be preventative. So if you have, and I wouldn't use a barbell for it, is get them into flexion and say, this is the point you don't want. And then maybe put a, um, a rod on their back and get them to be straight against it and say, this is a position you do want. But I do hear a lot of proponents of People saying, yeah, when you're deadlifting, if you're a round back deadlifter and you're willing to accept that risk, then go ahead and do it. I'm really against that because that's that, you know, if you accept that, it takes a, a very small margin of error for you to go into too much flexion and herniate the disc potentially. Whereas if you concentrate on keeping a stable spine, stable lumbar spine, particularly for, for lumbar disc herniation, I think that's that's a much more healthier way to train. So, so I think just playing devil's advocate on the Jefferson curls, the, the thinking behind it, whether it's faulty or not, I think, as you said, is kind of developing proprioception of being able to articulate the spine as much as you can from sort of vertebra by vertebra and yeah. learning to do that. But I, I think, yeah, doing it loaded is probably a bad idea. And I think people often yeah. push it too far with that. I think they, they do recommend you start with a broomstick and do that for like a year or two years before you even go on to say five or 10 kilos. Um, do yeah. you think doing that to gain sort of a more proprioceptive awareness of the spine, or at least um, I found it helpful symptomatically with my own back pain, but I think it was more to do with the lumbar spine is locked up. And I think when people injure their backs, it's it's common to just, if you've got flexion intolerant pain, so you don't want to bend forward, then you, you, you lock it in extension and you're afraid of moving it. And having some gentle movement to actually regain that and overcome the threat perception with something like a Jefferson curl or a cat camel, which is one of the, the McGill big three, yeah. it's kind of used in, in that context. Do you think, what, what are your thoughts in that, in that yeah. regard? So that brings us on, I think, to a different concept, which applies to other things besides the back. And that's the sort of psychosocial influences on, on pain and pain perception. So if you have a fear of certain positions, and this goes the same with people with knee pain, people with hip pain, people with SI joint pain and things like that. If you're afraid of going into a certain position, then that position is going to hurt you. Um, so you need to find a way to get into those positions in a controlled manner under minimal load at first to gain confidence. It's just like the way that, you know, every time before we squat, we put an empty barbell on our back and do the movement. We get familiarity with the movement again every single time we do it. And it requires very regular practice to do it. And it's the same thing with the, the back. And I don't think, you've said Jefferson curls, but you could put in there, you know, it's X equals whatever. So Jefferson curls give me a better proprioception, fine, okay. Or a broomstick on my back gives me better proprioception, or this gives me better, pick what it is. Uh, don't waste your time doing 50 million things that give you the same one thing. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I do not have all the time in the world to train. So. Pick one or two things, and if you have to do them, do them. If you don't have to do them, you got better things to do in life. Uh, so if the Jefferson Curl is a thing for you that teaches you how to keep your back straight, for me, it would probably be more something like 
doing static braces against the bar. So that's what I do when I when I do deadlifts. I don't. I, I keep uh, two bumper plates on the bar, and my warm up is getting into that wedge position underneath the bar with a flat back. And I video myself doing that, um, and I check it out after I've done a few warm up sets. And if I'm happy with that, I go, and and that's it. That's all I do. Uh, so I don't do, you know, other stretches. I don't foam roll. I don't do any of that stuff because it doesn't help me as an individual. And I think, you know, this is why I don't poo-poo other um, allied professionals like chiropractics gets poo-pooed a lot, for example. I never do that. If a patient comes into my office and they said, I went to the ch chiropractor, he's a miracle worker, it worked for me, great. I, you know, I don't mention the, the stuff that I've seen going wrong. And I say, if it works for you, that's great. Keep doing what you're doing. Because for that individual, it's worked. And it's not going to disrupt that psychosocial influences on pain because pain is very complicated. There's the anatomical factors like, I don't know, if you've got facet arthritis, if you've got a disc prolapse, if you've got uh, patellar arthritis, all sorts of stuff. If you've got that, that's anatomical. Then you've got the muscular factors, which are particularly important in the lower back and the knee. So quadriceps weakness and things like that are quite important in controlling knee pain. And, it's, and there's a direct correlation between quads cross-sectional area and knee pain. So quads are the most big thigh muscles at the front. And the patella is the kneecap. And the pain that you get from your patella or kneecap is directly related to cross-section of your quads. So if you get stronger muscles, you'll have less knee pain. It's, and I tell that to all the patients who come in with knee arthritis. If, and they all have teeny tiny quads. They might have big legs because they're, they're chubby. But most of them have quite small quads and weak quads. They can barely get out of a chair without the help of their hands. So by strengthening your, your muscles around your lower back, your knee, it's, it's all going to help. Hello, Johnny here. Just a short interruption to this episode. I know what you're thinking. This show was brought to you by none of that. Trust me. We have something completely free, something to give you today. So we're aware that you guys who've been listening to our podcast, you've heard before us talk about the show notes and other places to go to download things from propanefitness.com. But we want to give those of you who listen to our podcast something completely different, something completely unique that we don't provide anywhere else. So we want to give you something that is actually a membership area or a membership portal where we have loads of free goodies, some downloads, some things to watch, some trainings, and some free presentations that we want to give you all bundled together completely free. All you have to do is go to propanefitness.com forward slash gift. There's no email opt-in. There's no enter your email and receive this. It's completely obligation-free. You just enter your email, enter your username rather, and your password, and then you'll be sent login details. So completely free. In there, we have some training on the 3i formula. That's the framework that we use with all of our coaching students and loads of other free goodies. So that's propanefitness.com forward slash gift. Head over there now pick up your free training and we hope you enjoy hope you enjoy the rest of this episode and we'll speak soon so just to i think i'm i'm gonna throw out this i'm gonna i'm gonna play the guy that that brings it brings it back to earth i think because yeah i know these are huge topics and i think like it's easy to say issue and then before we know it, we're talking about something else yeah but i think what you're saying like to give greg something really actionable that he can use in his training and think about going forward it sounds like what you're saying to guys that we have like the main issue that we should fight for when we're training is stability of the spine not necessarily rigidity might be a bad thing we don't necessarily want a mobile spine while we're lifting so bracing yeah. and keeping a stable position throughout lifting and fighting for that is is kind of primary priority yeah absolutely to say? 
So does that Absolutely. does that apply over to to strength and injury prevention? Like we're going to get a better result weight on Absolutely. the bar. Okay. Yeah. Um, so then when we're talking about like the use of a Jefferson curl, for example, so I imagine unless someone's already quite well versed in like back pain, back problems, Stu McGill's work, they might not know why you would even consider using a Jefferson curl or what a Jefferson curl might be. Like, would that be part of a mobility program to improve your flexibility, mobility? Is it pain management? You know, what someone who is, I'm trying to think from the perspective of someone who's just, they're just going in the gym three, four times a week. They're doing squat bench deadlift. And you know what, yeah. my back hurts a little bit. And I'm starting to think like, actually my back rounds a bit when I'm squatting, is that a bad thing? And should I be doing something outside of lifting, like a correct, some corrective or pre preventative exercise? Or should I just be focusing on what I do while I'm actually lifting to try and prevent a problem or improve pain? Yeah, should I'm, yeah. I mean, should I'm getting absolutely. And you know, that's an area of controversy. My personal opinion is that uh, you should concentrate on doing your lifts technically correct, as opposed to as number one. As opposed, to, yeah, as opposed to giving yourself pain and then finding other ways which take up more of your time and may not be the best time spent to do um, to to correct it. Why don't you just correct your lifts as they are, and check your ego and don't increase the weight until until it's safe to do so. So, so I think you, going there and do, if if you're going to spend time on on anything, spend time on correct learning about correct technique, learning about the anatomy, uh, learning what's what's how things are supposed to move, and um, and spend your time. That I think that's better time spent personally. I've had the advantage of having anatomy as part of my training, and I get to do it do it on a regular basis. And one thing I do know is that despite our little differences, we're all fundamentally the same. You know, from a surgical perspective. Everyone's a little bit different, but this is, uh, you know, these are quite minor differences. I rely on the fact that I can rely on anatomy to find my way around to do what I need to do when I'm operating on people. And if we were all so vastly different, I wouldn't be able to do my job properly. So we are all fundamentally the same. There are small differences, but, uh, and sometimes they, they might throw us off during an operation, but it's all fundamentally the same. And if you have a map, that doesn't, it's like, it's like the earth, you know, it doesn't change that much over the years. Neither does anatomy. I know that Yusuf's journey into learning about the back, as well as obviously having back pain and back problems. I remember for, I don't know how many years it was an issue, Yusuf, but when you were deadlifting, getting rounding in your back while deadlifting. And from what you were saying to Guy, that if you, if that's something like that's a risk that you're taking, like that's yeah. a, that's not a correct position to be in. And I think especially in the powerlifting community, that's, very hotly debated. Like if you look at a lot of the top deadlifters, they have a rounded back when they're when they're deadlifting. Yeah. So if someone, many coaches as well, isn't it? Upper back rounding exactly. and deadlift. Yeah. So if someone's in the position where they're like they're currently lifting, maybe like I don't think many people have that issue in a squat, but let's say they're getting some kind of back rounding while deadlifting, they're at a point where their strength is is progressing. It's maybe slowing a little bit. Is it better in that position to keep pushing on, or is it better to say, you know what, like I'm running the risk of injuring myself? My my spinal stability isn't where it needs to be. I'll, I'll I'll move back, taper the load a little bit, and learn relearn bracing and stability before pushing on. Is that a better tactic for that person? I, I think it would be. Yeah. Okay. Yusuf, you you mentioned something else about thoracic versus lumbar rounding. So those are completely different beasts, though, because the thoracic spine is prone to less flexion exactly because of the rib cage and the sternum, and people who round their upper back will usually either do it there or in the thoracolumbar junction. 
So I, I think, you know, allowing yourself some thoracic bend, um, it, it's very difficult to actually flex your uh, thoracic spine to a significant degree and certainly enough to herniate a disc. That's why thoracic disc herniations are quite rare. They're also very sinister. There's not a lot of space available for the cord. If you herniate a thoracic disc, you have a higher chance of potential paralysis because there's not a lot of place to push the spinal cord against bone before you start getting symptoms down below. Whereas in the lumbar spine, there's more flexion extension mobility possible. Therefore, you can more likely put your disc in a more dangerous position, tearing uh, tearing the, the surrounding so a disc is like a donut. There's a nucleus palposus with the with the jam, like sorry, like a jammy dodger. So the jam in the middle is your um is your nucleus palposus, which is like a like a bubble of jelly. Okay, uh, and then there's the annulus fibrosus, which is around, which is made of fibrocartilage, and that's what turns uh, that's that's what helps mitigate compressive load. Load comes down uh, like that the nucleus pulposus expands and pushes outward on the annulus fibrosus. And if that load is too much or you shear it as well, uh, twist it, towards it or shear it, you can get a tear in the uh, annulus fibrosus, sort of ring around, and get the nucleus pulposus popping out. Okay, So the jammy dodger gets squeezed and the jam comes out. We don't want that because the jam irritates all the nerve roots, but also if there are nerves too close by, and there's not a lot of space for those nerves, which is in the spinal canal, the case in the thoracic spine, but not so much in the lumbar spine, you can get serious problems with the nerves. So thoracic versus lumbar stability, getting back to the, the, the question at hand, is very different, I think. So thoracic rounding versus lumbar rounding are different things. But either way, I think you are taking a risk. And um, Johnny, you mentioned top-level deadlifters. Well, I'm not a top-level deadlifter. I think the majority of your viewers are probably not top-level deadlifters. They probably have jobs that they need to go to to make money to, to pay for stuff, whereas those top-level deadlifters are making money because they are lifting those big weights and people are coming to them to get stronger, perhaps, or they're getting money directly for it. So they, they take a risk, and it pays for them. I don't see how herniating a disc for me is going gonna, is gonna to make me any better at my job, uh, make me more money, or put food on the table so that I can feed my kids. It's a very good That's way a, of looking at it. Great argument. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Yusuf, is your, your jammy dodger has some jam. My, my jammy like dodger's got a bit of jam leaking out. And you know, you know what, Tagai, it was actually a friend of mine who is a plastic surgeon that uh, said used the same argument. And he said, look, if you want to be practicing even if you become a gp or something you still need to be able to walk around and stuff so he was like don't take the piss with your back like don't keep trying to re-injure it because yeah. it's just gonna you know he's like you yes lifting is one thing but you also have to just live a life for however long you've got remaining in this body and so don't yeah. ruin it and yeah when you put it like that it makes you think actually yeah i can do without conventional style deadlifting for for a while, <laughs> just to get back to the questions as well. So Jefferson Kills yeah. versus McGill Big Three. The just for anyone that's listening, the McGill Big Three are cat camels, curl ups, and bird dogs. I think right. there's there's another one that he kind of subs in and out. But would you say those are a good idea, basically, to to do in terms of developing stability and stiffness in in the spine? Uh, so I would probably, given the choice of verses, I would probably say the McGill Big Three. Uh, I think I am personally a, a better, a bigger proponent of um, anti-rotation movements, planks, side planks, pal-off presses, all that kind of stuff. I do some planks and, and things like that and some ab wheel work, rollouts occasionally, but 
if something's going to drop out of my training, it's that. Because squatting against the belt activates your, uh, your core very well. And as long as I'm doing that, I get stronger. Uh, you know, keeping to technique, uh, keeping a flat back in deadlifting, I think all those things are, are very good at improving the stability of your spine. Something that's always bothered me with like recommendations like bird dog and, and like exercises like that compared to deadlifting or squatting, the relative loads that you're dealing with, like the relative demands on the structures is so different. Like how can doing an unloaded bodyweight exercise that yes, it's cueing different things and maybe bringing a, a better awareness of certain patterns, but getting, as you were saying, like bracing against a belt and focusing on contracting in, in that position, like surely that's providing more of a, more training for like the stability of your spine than anything else. I, I know obviously Stu McGill knows a lot more about this than I do. So I'm sure he's got his reasons. To be honest, he knows more about that bit than I do as well. Uh, you know, and I'm happy to admit that just because I operate on people doesn't mean, uh, you know, I know something that he does incredibly well, better than him. I, you know, we didn't, we do need to know our place. And that's, that brings me on to the last part of Greg's question. Half an hour and we're doing just one question, but uh, so <laughs> again, you know, stretching is something that um, there's a lot of controversy in the um, in the literature about how long an effect it has on you and things like that. But again, it's not my my remit of expertise. I do have an opinion on it, but uh, it's not something that I I deal with on a day to day basis. There's also a bit of a leading question in the sense that he's asking what is the best psoas stretch, and the assumption there is that stretching your psoas is a good thing to do. Now, I'm not saying it's not, but, you know, we spoke to Greg Lehman a few months ago and, you know, he, he had a very different opinion on it. He was like, does the psoas even exist? You know, so <laughs> it wasn't quite that bad, but, you know, he's he's very okay. much about saying, do, does it have a, um, a kind of any kind of replicable or transferable effect on the rest of your movement by stretching out a muscle and um, saying that, you know, by sitting down in an office for eight hours a day, it's not long enough to physically shorten a muscle and that... For, for something to be anatomically shortened you've got to have been like growing up in a in a box or something for for years at a time so the only people who i have had to do a psoas release on okay are people who've had severe hip arthritis cerebral palsy or uh children with um uh with similar disorders to, to cerebral palsy who have a neuromuscular problem that leads to the muscle shortening uh, so stretching your psoas for 30 seconds, once every whatever, the only thing I could I could say is that if it's going to help you, for example, before you squat, to stretch your psoas, to in a way deactivate it so that you don't have a hip flexor fighting against your hip extension, fine, I get that. And if it works for you, great. I tried that and it worked for me a bit, so if I have time for it, I might just sort of do a little couch couch stretch or something like that. To help, and I guess to answer this question, my in my opinion, the best psoas stretch is the cow stretch, but that's because it's a stretch not only for the psoas but also the rectus femoris, the the great hip flexor that everyone seems to forget about. It's a nasty muscle to stretch as well. Mm. There's a horrible partner one that we got from Kit Lachlan where you get your mate to sit on your bum from behind while you're in the lunge position and pull up your back leg and you know you've never felt such a that, yeah that gets it like nothing else that's a really deep pain. you said a mate sits on i don't think a mate would ever do that to someone else yeah <laughs> i did it to yusuf the other day great uh, that says something that says about me but yeah. <laughs> so just to, just to round off that portion of the question because yeah. yusuf mentioned something about 
yoga. So I want to know your opinion on that. But also, Lasses asked, what's the best way to get a bulletproof core for deadlift and squats, which I think kind of leads off quite nicely from what we're discussing. So I know within that, you have mentioned like the constant sort of flexion and extension that's involved in a lot of yoga routines. Is that contrary to the stability that we're trying to create or the, the, the stability that we need to generate in a training session? There's a first question. Should we be doing yoga? Yes or no? So here's the thing. My wife does Pilates, so I need to be careful about what I say. Basically, I think that the role of yoga, yoga and Pilates, I see people in a back pain clinic who come, come to our clinic, they go into yoga and Pilates, and it works for them. And I think fundamentally why it works is exactly what we were talking about with the Jefferson Curl and the McGill, McGill Big Three. There's proprioceptive input involved. People are more aware of the, their bodies, more aware of the positions that be, could become dangerous or not for them, and they concentrate on more of a stable stable spine during vulnerable movements, but putting it through a gentle range of motion to gain confidence. Uh, and I think you know if, if that works, like I was saying before with patients who come in saying, this worked for me, I never undermine that thought process. If it works for you, great, do it. You're not jumping off a bridge. You're not shooting someone. You're doing something that's helping yourself and not harming others. So fine. if that's the way you choose to spend your time, that's great. If you look at the medical literature, the roles of these peripheral sort of allied professionals and their, their sort of the package of care that they provide, the, the results can be mixed. And I think the reason for that is because you're dealing with a very heterogeneous group of people, so a very different group of people who have different needs, and when you lump them all together into one big study, you get no difference. And mm. that's not surprising, because they're too different to pick apart. So whatever works for you, just do it. Uh, but it may take some trial and error, and sometimes the help of someone who's a professional who's seen other people go through trial and error and done it themselves to help point you in the right direction. Very much agree with that. And I think, as you said, like you take a bunch of people with back pain, you make them do yoga or pilates, and just by virtue of them having doing some exercise and just being active, they're going to be improving. And we don't know whether they would have improved from any other form of exercise either. But as you said as well, you, you kind of, you lumped yoga and Pilates together. And I imagine a lot of the studies may even lump similar ones together or even within yoga, like yeah. sub, uh, sub types of yoga. And there are some forms of yoga that, well, like Pilates, for example, is very stability focused and very much about developing sort of pelvis awareness of, of where your pelvis is rotated Whereas yoga is, uh, or vinyasa yoga, for example, be very focused on like repeated flexion extension of the spine, going from downward dog to upward dog. Whereas there are other forms that might be holding a position that engages the glutes more. So even within yoga or within Pilates, they're probably like, I can see the yoga teachers getting furious because it's like saying <laughs> sport and like sport is such yeah. a, <laughs> a wide umbrella. Uh, my mistake for lumping them all together, I, it's, they're clearly very different, but the reason I said those was because you said yoga, and my wife has done yoga, and now she's doing Pilates, but overall, what I, want, what I meant to say is these sort of more peripheral core activity-based movements, and the people who come to us say these are the things that they try to do, either yoga, Pilates, chiropractics, acupuncture, physiotherapy, they they try all those to treat their back pain, for example. I think um, a lot of people probably do lump them together. Like, I think people who yeah. aren't necessarily well-versed in them, like, I, even the phrase, like, yoga and Pilates, you know, you hear that all the time, <laughs> don't you? So, it's that bendy-wendy stuff, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that, you know, it's the class that I do at the gym. So I think it probably... It's called yoga lattes. I've even I, heard of that. That might be. I mean, it wouldn't. It really wouldn't surprise me. There's also yeah. piloxing, which I find hilarious. <laughs> 
Piloxing. I don't what even know that? what that means. So it's Pilates and boxing, which I, that's like saying golf and fishing. Like, I don't know how you can... You, like, get in a Pilates pose and then... Yeah, I don't something. know. Like, it's... it's a weird combination. <laughs> Bizarre. Wow. Bizarre. Okay, so we shouldn't necessarily be doing yoga or Pilates or any kind of drill that is... Well, we need to be experimenting on ourselves, see what works, see what gets yeah. results, do what we think works for us. If we're looking at improving our core for or stability as a lifter, someone who's focused on, I want to squat more weight, I want to deadlift more weight, I think my core is a limiting factor within that equation. Is there anything outside of squat, bench, and deadlift or, or, or main exercises, barbell lifts, that you would recommend someone does? I suppose you mentioned pal-off press as well. Yeah, I mean... I think if I was going to do anything, it'd be anti-rotation movements. Okay. Uh, so if you can do ab wheel rollout safely, most people don't seem to be able to, to be honest. What would an unsafe ab rollout look like? Where you sort of, where, where you get any movement. So the whole point is the anti-rotation or the anti-flexion extension. So if you're getting any flexion, extension, or rotation, you are defeating the purpose of the movement. So it becomes unsafe. Uh, so, so it's like, it says it says on the tin. <laughs> Yeah. So if you're dipping into extension while doing an ab rollout just to get extra range, like you might as well just hit your face off the gym floor or, you know, like do something else that's at least going to create a result. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why you would, you would do that. Your technically correct movements are the way forward, I think. Okay. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. Do, doing an ab rollout. So I've, I've tried, I think when I became aware of that and you're like, oh my God, I'm doing that wrong. I've been doing it wrong for years. And you become aware of like the point of an ab rollout and you try and do it fighting to keep stability and fight against extension. It's a completely different ball game. Like yeah. you're able to do like three and you're shaking Absolutely. and sweating and stumbling all over the place. So I think the yeah. point is not, for, for those sorts of movements, the point is not A to B. It's, it's mm. the journey. There. You know, you got to get that right. Um, That's great. So, yeah. that, and that, even that alone, like there'll be, I bet everybody listening to this who has spent time in a gym has tried an ab rollout before and yeah as you said says they're face palming don't face palm if you're driving would be my advice but <laughs> great okay so i think that covers that covers greg's question nicely i think it covers a, a lot of the subsequent questions as well though because mm -hmm. uh, a lot of stuff was about that what um, i really like about about what you've said is it's it's very principle based so i think like whenever you're considering anything of like should i be doing this should i consider doing this it's like well it's a, it's a game of self-experimentation. It's working out whether or not it works for you. And then also focusing on exercise technique, stability to create this environment of injury prevention and, and strength gain. I think is a, is a good way to just, you know, for some general advice, because it's, it's so easy to, you know, as Yusuf says, there's like, how many types of yoga are there? How many types of Pilates are there? How many core exercises are there? How many different stretches are there? Like, it's, it's so easy to get completely lost in this. But if you just come back to the, those principles that you mentioned i think it's a great way to sort of keep your head clear and, and just focus on what actually matters for sure yeah i mean if you if you're stepping in the gym and you're doing stuff for 45 minutes uh before you even hit the weights you know why why are you in the gym for, for that amount of time i don't know that it, perhaps it's a cynical way of looking at things but you know i think there's a saying in medicine where we have this rule in medical school where you go for the money all right, so that's they, they asked this famous bank robber back in like the 50s, why do you rob banks? Because that's where the money is. So go, go, for, go for the money. And, and the money is strength because stronger people live better lives, better quality of life. And again, this is something that's in the literature. Grip strength, 
uh, leg extension strength is related to better quality of life in your elder years. Given the fact that we have age-related sarcopenia, so age-related muscle loss, from, for men, it's, you know, we start losing testosterone levels from about 35, so I'm hitting that. Uh, so from now on, it's going to be a downwards trend of trying to retain my strength uh, and, and maybe get better technically at movements. Given that that's the fact, you want to get strong so that you have a better quality of life because people who are stronger live better quality of life. And if that's your end goal, you need to get to that end goal the, in the most efficient way possible, in my opinion. Uh, and if you're having to do 45 minutes of whatever work just to be able to do that, then perhaps you're not doing the work you need to do well enough. So just do the work, do it well, and then you don't need all these band-aids to cover up the uh, the stuff that you're getting. It makes a lot of sense with, with Go For The Money. Similar quote from Dr. John Sarno, which is, therapeutic eclecticism is a sign of diagnostic incompetence. And that's relating oh. to back pain, specifically saying that by trying all these different modalities of treatment, that's a sign that we're not actually getting to the root of what back pain is caused by, and it's a sign that we don't fully understand it. Yeah. Another quote from, from someone who's even more academically literate from Mark Bell, a super training gym, <laughs> is strength is never a weakness, which I think is, I definitely, definitely agree with. Like, just yeah. get really strong at everything and you'll, you'll probably be fine. Hey, Johnny again. Hope you enjoyed that episode of the Propane Fitness Podcast. Just a short reminder, if you're listening to this driving in your car and you're thinking, man, I really wish I had a reference that they made in minute five or 10 or whatever to that thing that they were talking about. Well, we've, we put together show notes for these podcasts every single week. We give you timestamps, we give you links to things we talk about, and we also give chances to grab free things, bonuses, etc. So head over to propanefitness.com and grab the show notes for this episode over there. Also, if you want to be notified of these podcasts when they come out, if you want free subscribe, subscriber-only benefits, stick your email address in and grab our free downloads, one of the many free downloads if you go to propanefitness.com and the homepage. There's a big red banner on the top of the website. Pick up that free ebook, that free download, and we'll send you emails whenever a new podcast is available. Just one short reminder as well. As you are a podcast listener, you have access to our exclusive free gift that is available nowhere else. And that is at propinfitness.com forward slash gift. Show, show.